What is up, ambitious listeners? Super cool episode coming at you this week with a WWE commentating legend in Tom Hannafin, the voice of Impact Wrestling now where he's absolutely killing it. He's doing some incredible freelance ESPN calls as well as a fantastic pay dirt podcast that he does fairly often with Matt McGloin, a Penn State quarterback and really Penn State legend. So Tom Hannafin is one of the coolest people in the media and he also joins the Ambitious Podcast this week for a phenomenal conversation where we talked about a lot of Penn State, a lot of his journey to this point, the wrestling industry, and some Penn State football and kind of what the future looks like for Penn State football and what kind of has been labeled as a retooling year. Will Drew Aller start? Will Sean Clifford start? Have all been big questions that Tom Hannafin dives into on today's episode. And that's coming at you after a quick word from our presenting sponsors, Liquid IV. Ambitious with Dylan Price is presented by Liquid IV. Liquid IV helps you have superior hydration and energy by multiplying energy and hydration with just one little packet. These packets just get poured into a bottle of water. You shake it on up, and there you go. I start my day every single day with Liquid IV. My favorite flavor is lemon ginger, but there's also lemon ginger, passion fruit, um, acai berry, and limited edition pear flavor they just came out with. There's also some other really cool flavors you can find on the Liquid IV website or in your local stores like Walmart, CVS, Kroger, Walgreens, all of the above. It's a good-for-you supplement that I use all the time. It helps fuel my lifestyle, and I am incredibly thankful for liquid iv for sponsoring this podcast and they're an absolute fantastic top of the line hydration supplement so go out get yourself some liquid iv and fuel life's adventures now back to the show what is up and welcome to ambitious my name is dylan price and today's guest is a big one joining me on today's pod is a penn state alum he is the voice of the pay dirt podcast alongside former penn state quarterback matt mcgloin he's also the voice of impact wrestling now as well and he's recently joined on with espn radio where he just called a phenomenal game in stillwater a couple days ago and then also just called a fantastic michigan and osu game in ann arbor so joining me on today's podcast is the the incredible, the renowned, the accomplished Tom Hannafin. Thank you very much for coming on today, Tom. Dylan, thank you. That's a lot of adjectives and accolades. I appreciate that. <laughs> You're very, very kind. So uh, anybody that's a student at Penn State, uh, especially a student of Mike Porman's, my old professor, is a friend of mine. So I'm glad we could talk. Yeah, so first, thank you for doing this. Obviously, uh, for me, knowing you was nine years in WWE, getting to hear your voice. And now I've followed along with your career, going to Impact, all the incredible stuff you're doing. So honestly, I'm going to start with how is everything right now? You've been killing the game and killing the sports media game. So how's the schedule like? How busy are you? Because I can imagine it's it's definitely rough. Um, well, thank you, first of all. Um, it's just different. Like WWE, I would say my schedule was more... Uh, demanding just because it was 52 weeks a year, uh, consistent travel every single week and sometimes multiple days a week where you're traveling. So multiple shows a week at times. So that was a very difficult schedule. I did that for nearly nine years. So this is just very different in that impact uh, is great for me because it allows me to have my passion in wrestling and work, you know, I think it's about two weekends a month right now where I'm going out recording shows or doing a live show and then I'll do edits for them during the week if necessary. So kind of on call if I have to be. But um, I think the one thing that my time in WWE taught me is that, you know, it's a grind to be on the road that much. And that's not just in wrestling. That's you turn on ESPN TV right now. And for instance, college basketball season going on. I watch Jason Benetti and Robbie Hummel call games two, three, four times a week, it's it's a grind. So it's just, for me, this is a, a period of discovery. Um, the freelance opportunity I've had with ESPN Radio has been really, really amazing. And everybody from Amanda Gifford and Peter Ciccone and all the people I've worked with, Bob Delvano, have been amazing to me. So I'm just, I'm just discovering kind of what the whole world is about. And then at the same time, I'd be remiss if I said, it's like, listen, I spent the last nine years of my career doing wrestling. This is relatively new to me to get into the conventional sports world. So uh, I was thrilled to kind of get a foot in the door with a company that I loved growing up and I've always been a fan of. So it's just different. The schedule's evolving and it's just kind of waiting for the phone to ring right now. So, you know, it's it's different. So that was actually kind of 
I'll skip a couple questions and we'll go back, but you hit on, you know, going to conventional broadcasting and for, like you said, nearly nine years, you were doing WWE, which I can imagine is very different than what you did here at Com Radio, what you do now with ESPN Radio, and even some of the talk you do with the Patriot Podcast, you had guys in your ear feeding you stuff, you kind of knew what was going to happen, you had to be excitable, so I guess my question for you is transitioning now to ESPN Radio and even doing the Patriot Podcast, which you've been doing for a while, and getting more into traditional sports talk versus the what you're doing for Impact and what you did for nine years for WWE. How has that been kind of transitioning back to what you were doing beforehand with Com Radio? Uh, it's been a real challenge because at Com Radio, I was doing uh, talk radio. I was doing play-by-play and color for games with board hopping occasionally. So um, it was really learning broadcasting from the ground up. And I wore my College of Belisario <laughs> t-shirt today just to be safe. Uh, yeah, so... I learned the fundamentals of broadcasting there. And then WWE taught me even more just in terms of broadcasting one-on-one. Now, to your point, there's certain things in wrestling that, okay, the outcome you might be able to know about. And it is a narrative and a story as opposed to, hey, we got to see how the game plays out sort of thing. So there's differences, but still the way the product is delivered from a broadcasting standpoint, it is still those basic elements of broadcasting. It's just turned up to 11, so to speak. You have to be over the top. You have to be um, really big with your energy and enthusiasm on a lot of different things. And, and emotion is critical, whereas I'm sure you watch plenty of different sports and you don't need to be terribly emotional for certain things. Your average, say, an, an NBA broadcast, they can talk through a lot of scores and just tell stories. And then they get up for big moments and ooh, maybe the lead changed here. Now we're going to really focus in. But they back out and they tell stories a lot and they can talk through action. So it's just very, very different. But at the same time, Penn State and WWE gave me the tools as a basic broadcaster to expand on that. And now it's almost coming back to, uh, at least with the ESPN radio opportunities, putting my reporter hat back on and being like, oh, okay, got to go out and get quotes and look up all my statistics, information and make my contacts, et cetera. Where as with WWE, to your point, it's scripted. That mm-hmm. You don't have to be a journalist. And then Pater has been really illuminating for me because I think when I first started it, I thought, oh, I have to be a reporter now. And and I just discovered, I'm like, that's not the case. I can still be a fan. I can give my opinion. I can use facts to base my arguments on, but I don't have to be, you know, Mr. Right every single time. So um, that's what the show has been all about is that we're not necessarily there being the guys who've like got every last piece of information for you. Those outlets are out there. But Matt McGloin and I are going to try and be straight shooters with how we think the program is doing and speculate and offer our criticisms where they're due. So uh, I think that's how any Penn State fan looks at the Penn State football team. So we're just trying to have fun, be entertaining and give our, our takes on stuff. So it's uh, there's a lot of things I'm learning right now, which is really good. So I'm enjoying it. Well, you guys do a fantastic job over there. And since you are all decked out in Penn State stuff and you do a Penn State podcast, I think it's only fitting if we go back to the roots, if we go back to the start of your career. So could you kind of take myself and the audience through what the start of your career was like going to Penn State in the first place? Why did you choose Penn State? And then kind of what happened right out of college? Yeah, so um, I come from Penn State families. My mom is class 78 nursing. My brother's class of 09 uh, poli sci. So I admittedly followed my brother to college. And when I had applied, um, I had first, uh, I was given my choice of branch campuses. So I didn't get into main campus uh, initially. Um, So I was a little disappointed by that. I think my options at the time were between the University of Ohio. They have a fantastic journalism program. Uh, Bowling Green was on my list. I was looking at Syracuse. I was looking at UConn. And Penn State obviously was my number one choice. So I committed to going to Penn State because I was like, all right, if I pick the Altoona campus, I can commute to main campus regularly pretty easily. At that point, it was maybe an hour drive, and I was down to like 45 minutes because they redid the highway finally. Um, So I would commute to campus on a regular basis, and I would do shows, I would do meetings, I would call games, et cetera. And then once I was able to go from a branch campus to main campus by junior year, it was being a lot more hands-on, being out at um, Innovation Park at the time. From what I understand, it's moved. So congratulations to all you guys (laughs) that don't have to schlep all the way up there. So uh, it was great. I think I came in with a lot of 
uh, big ideas of what broadcasting was and what I could do and what com radio could do. And in reality, you know, it's just I needed to take some baby steps and learn what everything was about. And com radio under Jeff Brown uh, has been fantastic. Um, I've made so many good friends uh, who uh, to this day I will call on for advice. Uh, 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 Tom Ferguson and Thomas Frank Carr jumped to mind as two guys who I regularly will buzz throughout the year of like, hey, what do you think about this? Can you help me out with that? What would you do here? So uh, I'm just so grateful for my time at Com Radio because there was a point where I was debating, oh, I don't know if this is the right circumstance for me just because of branch campuses and uh, 100% the right decision. So, and then coming out from going here, you know, transitioning from Altoona to University Park and then coming out after years at Com Radio, what was the process like coming out and looking for employment right out of college? I know I've heard you on other podcasts mention, you know, what you kind of did right away before finding, you know, your permanent home for nine years. Yeah, it, it, it was tough at first. So I graduated in 2011. I think like anybody that was in uh, broadcast journalism at that time, Penn State is such a big brand that everybody was like, how can I get a job with, you know, the, the university, the athletic department or something here in State College? So I was looking locally and not having a lot of success. And then I had had an opportunity with uh, 95.3 WMZ at the time as a board op. And I was, <laughs> I don't think I've ever told this story on the air. Uh, my alarm didn't go off uh, on a certain day and I was late for a board op. So I booked it to the facility. I can't remember where it is in town. And I'm all disheveled, my hair's a mess. I'm in a t-shirt, basketball shorts. Like it's so unprofessional. I was like, I'm gonna get fired, like whatever. So I'm there, I'm doing the board op. They're very like, you know, it's, it's all right, whatever. So I'm doing the board op and then uh, there happened to be a gentleman in the facility at the time and I'm blanking on his name and I not, no, don't mean to be disrespectful, but he worked for Juniata College uh, in their athletic department. And they were like, oh, Tom does play-by-play. -play. He also does color and such. If you're looking for somebody to call games, he could do it. And he was like, oh, let's chat. And I was like, great. You know, I'm like all disheveled and stuff. I was like, thanks for not looking at me like, what the hell are you doing? So uh, had a conversation with this gentleman and then got connected with Junietta College and called their men's and women's basketball and a couple of football games for the better part of 2011 into 2012. And then like anybody, I was on plenty of websites just trying to find other jobs. You know, it wasn't paying a ton at the time. And um, I was on staatalent.com, which I highly recommend for anybody that's at the college level looking for a job. And I was applying everywhere. And one of the things that came up was WWE, which I couldn't believe. There's certain job leads, as I'm sure you've seen on the website, I see it nodding your head, that it's like, oh my gosh, this is a big opportunity. This is a big franchise or league or something like that. WWE is a billion dollar company. So I was like, all right, well, I was into this when I was young and you know, I kind of got away from it, but I was like, all right, I need a job. And like, let's see what happens. And just got very lucky at 23 years old. So that doesn't happen to everybody. So I will say to this day how lucky I got. Yeah, that's incredible to kind of go into that and then find that opportunity. So kudos to you. And that's pretty crazy how being a board op and a disheveled board op got you into everything really rolling from there. You just never know, man. You just never know when it's going to be the right person and the right time. Go figure. That is fair. So in kind of talking about WWE briefly here, so you dove in there. Were you a fan before you, I know you just mentioned you were a fan, then you kind of pulled away. Were you a big fan of WWE growing up? And then were you still a fan at that point? I wouldn't say I was like the biggest fan ever. And I've said this on other podcasts, but like I was uh, casually watching and like my parents weren't that wild about me watching wrestling because at that point in time, if you're a wrestling fan and or for anybody listening to this, I was born in 1989. So the time that I started watching was the late 90s, early 2000s. And it was kind of it was the time they referred to as the attitude era. It was a pretty intense time to be watching wrestling if you were a kid. Like, it was fun, but also you could understand how parents would be like, eh, this isn't for my kid. So I would have to sneak down in the basement, watch the volume real low, and I knew Monday Night Raw was every Monday, you know, no duh, and I'd flip back and forth between that and Nitro. And I played the video games a lot. I still have the video games of WWF No Mercy and WCW NWO Revenge on Nintendo 64. It still works, all that stuff, so I'll, I'll play that every once in a while, but... Uh, then I went, to, uh, I went to high school and I went to college, kind of got away from it, got into sports, got into my studies, Penn State, you know, there's plenty to do at Penn State, so I got <laughs> distracted. Um, and, and then when the job opportunity came up, I was like, okay, I was like, this was always fun, you know, when I was younger. And like, like I said, I'm like, I needed a job and like, kind of let's see where this goes. And uh, I went in, did an audition with uh, 
uh, Josh Matthews, who I now work with at Impact again, uh, which is just fascinating to me, but I love working with him. And it, it just worked out. And I, I just I'll never understand why or how, but I'm grateful it did. That's really, really cool story. And then you get the opportunities like you had with WWE to work on Raw, SmackDown. I mean, I know you just mentioned the Attitude Era and growing up with that. But for a big part of my growing up as when I was younger being a WWE fan, the man behind the mic for a bulk of the content I was watching was Tom Phillips at that time. So, well, the man formerly known as Tom Phillips. So pretty cool to hear that and hear that's That's insane to think because I'm 32 and I'm like, oh, my gosh. But thank you. That's very nice of you to say. Well, you killed it, and now you kind of just mentioned working for Josh Matthews now and everything you're doing at Impact, and I did kind of want to ask this, and I'm sure you've gotten this question a ton since going to Impact, but a lot of the guys on Impact are guys you have worked with in the past, and kind of relearning a lot of these guys by their different names and their new moves and a lot of the different kind of characteristics, and then still working with them and having that rapport. What has that been like for you, and have there been a lot of slip-ups or any slip-ups? Um, I can say to this point, I haven't had a slip up. Um, so I'm very fortunate in that respect. I'll knock on wood for now. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I haven't had a slip up yet. It, it has been a learning curve because admittedly, um, it, it's been like learning all these new characters, like the people that I wasn't familiar with. It's like, I don't have those relationships with. So it's like going up to them and be like, hey, what do you call your finishing move? Tell me a little bit about your character and your background. Because I haven't necessarily been watching it intensively for my entire life. So there's things I'm still learning as uh, time goes by. But yeah, there's one of the main reasons that I came to Impact was because of the familiarity with about, I'd say half the crew. It's been fantastic. Eric Young was one of the first people who reached out to me after I left WWE. Rhino was a good friend when we were there. Um, Steve Macklin, Matthew Raywall. I mean, the list goes on and on of people that are there that I really care about and have helped me immensely. And then it's getting to know people that I really maybe didn't know that well in terms of I had a brief interaction with Deanna Perrazzo and uh, her time in NXT doing the Mae Young Classic. So didn't really get to know her, but now seeing how good she is and a, and a multitude of other people. So it's just been a very different experience. And I, I just love the people I'm working with. They've all been so kind to me and so welcoming. It's been a really good experience. And it's kind of like I was saying before, you know, when I, I was done with WWE, I was like, maybe this part of my life is over. Maybe, you know, I'm done with wrestling. Maybe wrestling's done with me. And for that opportunity to come about uh, was really special. And it really means a lot to me to be able to do that, to carry the flag for a company, at least on commentary, uh, that's been on the air now for 20 years. The, that position of play-by-play commentator for that company, um, I have the utmost respect for it because it's gone from Tanay to Borash to Matthews to Stryker. And to be able to add to that legacy is really important to me. So in talking about kind of the world of wrestling as a whole right now, I don't know if there's been a time, at least in me growing up, that the industry has been hotter. I mean, Impact is at one of its highest rated, highest ratings and one of its biggest attention peaks. And then you have AEW, who just now brought out Ring of Honor last night. And then, of course, World Wrestling Entertainment is always going to be a powerhouse in wrestling in North America. But I guess to be a commentator for one of the big three of those companies and having worked in one of the other companies and worked with a lot of guys who are in AEW. What is it kind of like as the vibe from within the industry right now with so much attention, so many eyes being on all three of these companies? I think the word is fluidity uh, and then also unpredictability, which is what makes pro wrestling great. Uh, I think when I grew up and I was watching wrestling, you just didn't know what was going to happen. And it's when wrestling gets formulaic that it can be a little bit stale. But when you don't know what's going to happen, you know, like you mentioned what just happened with uh, Ring of Honor, it's like, man, like it just makes things cool. It keeps things fresh. Um, and I'm thrilled to be a part of Impact. And then there's other great promotions, as you mentioned. Uh, you know, there's the big three, but there's also um, MLW is doing some good stuff right now. New Japan Pro Wrestling, let's not forget about their opportunities in the States. And then, of course, hopefully they get back to stuff in Japan proper. Uh, Terminus, Defy, I mean, Revolver, there's a million different places. And I think that's the beauty of technology is that it's never been more accessible. There's never been more solid streaming platforms able to offer this content to wrestling fans and at an affordable price, which is important. So uh, it's just really cool. And it harkens back almost to the territory days where 
you're seeing more and more non-exclusive contracts. And I talked about that fluidity. So Matt Cardona can be the NWA World's Heavyweight Champion, then show up in Impact, and then he can go to GCW. You know, that, that's a beautiful thing. And then, like, for a while, Matt Cardona was a, a baby face in Impact, and he was a heel everywhere else. So it, it really is the territory days. Now he's an absolute heel. <laughs> so it, it's really fun, man. It's just, I think, fluidity and unpredictability. And that's what makes wrestling great. I think you're also seeing, like you just mentioned, Matt Cardona, a guy I grew up as the broski Zack Ryder, who's now, right? honestly, like, I like this Cardona better. And I like this version of him. He's doing some of the best work, I think, probably of his career. And you see that with a lot of guys. And also, I think with the industry as a whole, it's opened a lot of doors. Guys like CM Punk have come back who, I mean, I don't know how you reacted to that, but to I don't think I ever thought he would ever be in a pro wrestling ring again. I don't think really anybody did. And now to see some of the work he's doing over there in AEW and just really it's forced WWE to adapt and kind of they've sunk, they've swam with part of it, but it really is, like you mentioned, fluidity. It's really created a lot of good and it's forced companies to have to step up and it's very cool. Yeah, it's it's something you'll hear from, you know, WWE and AEW constantly, but it's true for the entire industry is that competition is a good thing. And to your point about CM Punk returning, personally, no, I never thought we would see him back in, in professional wrestling. And uh, if he got his love back at, by joining AEW, then good for him. Uh, so I just think there's so many things that wrestling is offering nowadays that it just hasn't had in what feels like 15, 20 years. So it's just a great time to be a part of wrestling. And then to your point about Matt Cardona, I think the one thing that a lot of people are, a lot of uh, wrestlers are experiencing is that maybe it's not necessarily, uh, necessarily leaving WWE. It doesn't have to be that. But you're getting this opportunity to appear in front of audiences, either as your true name or a name that you selected. So the audience innately is believing that this is the true you and they're getting the real article, so to speak. And I think it's just putting a different coat of paint on a lot of people. And what we all got used to with Zack Ryder, for instance, for however many years in WWE, he is very, very smart and he's turned it on its head and it's made him a lot of money, which is great. So I, I hope to see more people do that, be themselves, be honest, and then also take whatever narrative is out there and turn it on its head. Speaking of which, EC3 and uh, the Titan Adam Share, yes. congratulations to them on Control Your Narrative. <laughs> So, and this is kind of the last thing before we pivot to some Penn State football talk, because I know you're a huge, huge Penn State football fan, obviously. Yes. But I got to ask, with somebody who's called WrestleMania, you know the gravity of the moment, and you know how big this event is, obviously, and everybody pretty much does. This year's WrestleMania is going to be very strange, and you hear the rumblings of your former boss possibly stepping in the ring with Pat McAfee, and then maybe mm -hmm. Stone Cold coming back. I guess I just got to ask, what do you make of some of the moves they're making with, I guess, some of these guys possibly coming back, some of these high-profile names. And I guess as somebody who was in the company for guys like Goldberg returning and guys coming back from maybe some of these Saudi shows like Shawn Michaels coming back, what do you make of this as a pro wrestling employer or employee, but also as a fan in general too? At the end of the day, I, I see all the people talking online about, well, there's the guys who are contributing, guys and girls who are contributing 52 weeks a year and you know the, the quote-unquote part-timer or a celebrity or something uh is taking their spot at wrestlemania at the end of the day business is business and if it draws it draws and if it's going to get eyeballs on the product then it's a good thing for everybody hopefully and at the end of the day it's an opportunity to try and make money wrestlemania is one of the most recognizable sporting or entertainment events on the planet i believe in the same category as Super Bowl, the World Series, the NBA Finals, WrestleMania is right up there. So uh, if there's, I mean, honestly, you understand how WWE and even how AEW would approach that situation mm -hmm. because they've done it with um, like Shaquille O'Neal and Snoop mm -hmm. Dogg and Mike Tyson have appeared on their air. So it's, and, and Sting is a guy who came back from out of nowhere and it's not that he's a part-timer by any means, but, you know, if these guys can contribute and help get new eyeballs on the product, then they're going to try and, make some money there so more to them you never thought about lacing up the boots and trying to get in the ring never it hurts <laughs> a lot I, I did it once uh, in the wwe performance center mm -hmm. just to experience what it's like to fall or to take a bump as they refer to it it hurts a lot <laughs> and i am made of glass so i'm like no thanks <laughs>
hard pass. I think a lot of what you did was actually so cool. I thought there was a couple of times, honestly, we could see a, you know, Tom Phillips versus Seth Rollins match. Maybe that was the way that uh, oh, the booking was yeah, going to go and stuff like that Thank happened. God Samoa Joe stepped up and, <laughs> and did something on my behalf. And then uh, I remember getting, and so there was one instance, uh, the late Luke Harper, Brody Lee, uh, John Huber, wonderful guy. Uh, and I had a good relationship with him when uh, he was in WWE. There was an instance on SmackDown Live where he was doing the Bludgeon Brothers with mm -hmm. Rowan. And I can't, I can't find the clip anywhere, but like he picks up one of the swivel chairs and he threw it in my general direction. And because of the angle of the camera, it looked like it hit me. So it just kind of went by me. So I just went down. And then because the cameras were shooting the wreckage, I just stayed down. So the, the referees come and check on me and they're like, are you okay? Or I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. And they're like, I had four or five people be like, it looked like it hit you. And I was like, okay, great, awesome. Even better that I just stayed down and didn't move. Uh, so, and I'm also really glad I didn't get hit by a swivel chair. That would have been terrible. Fair enough. So kind of transitioning here, obviously all the work you do for wrestling is incredible, but Penn State football is in a weird spot right now. I think that's probably, as someone who's covering it pretty often on the Pater podcast, you can kind of agree to that sentiment, but there's a lot of optimism. They did just bring in one of their best recruiting classes in really the past decade with guys like Drew Aller, Nick Singleton, and Caden Saunders leading that pack. So I guess from someone who is covering it and talking to Matt McGloin and talking to all these people about it. What is, in your opinion, as an analyst, the state of Penn State football right now? I think, uh, you know, right now is a challenging time because, you know, we're in the winter workout phase. There's not a lot of news. Everybody's just kind of trying to get in shape or get acclimated with the program. Or if you're one of those recruits, as you mentioned, you got in early, you're just trying to get your feet wet. And then we've got blue-white coming up on April 23rd. I think the key, especially going into the 2022 season, is the maturation of the offensive line. And I think that's the, one of the more boring things that football fans want to hear about. They're like, oh, offensive line play. It's like, no, it is critical because we saw, especially the Penn State offense, how much it struggled and how the offensive line really struggled in pass protection and run blocking. The running game was anemic, unfortunately. And you see positivity, to your point, in some of those position players that you said coming in, but also... There's some fantastic offensive line com uh, talent coming in in 22, 23, 24. Phil Troutwine and James Franklin have been very, very busy. I, I think there's reason for optimism, especially along the offensive line, because of what Olu Fushanu is capable of, of what Landon Tangwall is capable of coming back, the transfer of Hunter Norzad from Cornell. Um, I had a great conversation with uh, former Penn State offensive lineman Eric Wilson recently on Pater, and he echoes that sentiment because you're going to have um, continuity at right tackle. I believe that's uh, Caden Wallace is back. And then um, Celine Wormley was a guy that in the off season, in the summer, last summer, he was expected to be a starter and then he went down with an injury. So if you're able to get him back healthy and then maybe plug in Juice Scruggs, who you'd like to see him take some strides in terms of his ability. If you can solidify the offensive line, all of a sudden that success that this quarterback, specifically Sean Clifford, had in the first month of 2021 and especially in 2019 you might be able to duplicate and then especially if the running game can get going with guys that you just mentioned like nick singleton katron allen kevon lee kaziah holmes devin ford like there's some talent in that backfield obviously if the offensive line can get it together this season there's reason for positivity but we got a ways to go that is true so i feel like the question everybody's going to ask you is Clifford's coming back for a sixth year, and then you have Aller, you have Veyu, who performed fantastic in the Rutgers game. Do you think this is Clifford's job going into the blue and white game and really going into the summer this year? Or do you think there really is a door open for a Veyu, Aller, even a Bo Perbula to come in and possibly win the job? Um, I think based on track record, James Franklin is very loyal to his, uh, to his seniors and to his veterans. So I believe that you know, when the season kicks off against Purdue, you will see Sean Clifford under center. However, my hope is that between now and August, it's a competition because, and I've said it on the Pater podcast and the lead up to the Outback Bowl, and Matt McLoyne echoed the sentiments is that if Sean Clifford had had a big decisive game against Arkansas, win or lose, but had a big game, he would have slammed the door on a lot of that conversation. That didn't happen, unfortunately. 
The blue-white game, I am really excited to see from a quarterback standpoint because of all four guys that you just mentioned. One thing that I'm mildly fearful of as a Penn State fan is that depending on how things go between now and April and then into the summer, how much longer is Christian Bayou a part of the Penn State football program? How much longer does he stick around? Because he might see that, hey, Sean Clifford's the guy. Drew Allar is the, the big hyped recruit who's right behind me and younger, so they might want to pull the trigger on him the second that Clifford's out the door. Who knows? Bayou's got potential. Um, what would be a bummer is that he might be like, hey, I'm, I'm, I've only got so many years. I've got to transfer, and that's his prerogative. So, And to your point about Bo Prabula, I don't think anybody should be sleeping on him. Mm-hmm. I've heard the athletic comparisons to Trace McSorley, um, maybe not necessarily in terms of overall potential, but like you, know, you wait and see. I think it should be an open competition because the way Sean Clifford played um, at in 2021 was suspect. He was injured from yes. the word go against Wisconsin. So you give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, but now it's his chance to prove it. We'll see. Yeah, he's going to have to answer a lot of doubters, as you said, and dispel a lot of doubt. And I guess I kind of talking a little more about Veyu here, but you see the success that a guy like Will Levis had at Kentucky and how much of that was Liam Cohen and the fantastic offense they ran there and how much of that is also kind of a Penn State quarterbacks having success when they transfer. Because even if you look at Tommy Stevens and what he did at Mississippi State, he had more success when he left. And now maybe Taquan Robertson, Roberson goes to UConn, maybe he has success. So do you think there is a precedent here where it would make more sense for Veyu if you're in his shoes to head out? and pursue other opportunities because of, as you just said, Aller's waiting in the wings, possibly, as soon as Clifford's out the door? Um, it's possible. Uh, I think just because Veyu clearly has some ability. Um, I don't think he necessarily did anything against Rutgers that was like, whoa, this guy's going to blow the doors off anybody. But he certainly looked like a competent starter that a lot of programs could use. And quarterback play is far and away the most important thing at this point in, in football. So uh, I just... I, I, I want to see how things go with Clifford. Um, does he heal up? Does he take those strides in terms of decision-making and accuracy that they would like to see? Does he protect his body as a quarterback? And do they scale back the running? What does Mike Yurcich ask of him? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it all depends on if Drular is ready to go the second he walks in the door. I really doubt that because he's a freshman and you can't really expect that. So, um, yeah, it is it is concerning. Um, I would love to see Veyu stick around. Um, but yeah, to your point, I think those other quarterbacks that you mentioned, they use very different. Uh, Tommy Stevens and Will Levis, very similar body type, very similar athletic ability in that not necessarily fabulous passers, but they can run, they can be physical. They're kind of like tight ends playing quarterback a little bit. Uh, Roberson's very different. I think him going to UConn is a really nice fit. So I'm curious to see how he matures as a quarterback uh, at the FBS level. So Veyu, I think, is somebody that could transfer to a lot of Power 5 schools and have success immediately. So I guess my last Penn State football question for you here is you did a fantastic job highlighting the receiver room with a former receiver. And then on your own, you went through kind of the mold of the prototypical James Franklin guy over the past few years after looking at guys like KJ Hamler and the success they had, Jahan Dotson. And now you look at the receiver room going into next year. You got Parker Washington, who figures to be the lead guy, the the Jahan Dotson for this next year and probably going to come out of the draft after that. But then you have Lambert Smith. You have a huge addition of Mitchell Tinsley, which I think was awesome. Malik Miga, who had that fantastic touchdown in the Rutgers game and really apparently started to come on really strong in the past, like in the last few weeks of the season. And then you add in the Caden Saunders and some of the other guys on this roster. So with all the receiver talent, how do you kind of see it all sorting itself out come opening day against Purdue? Um, I think it then hit the nail on the head with Parker Washington. Washington's kind of sliding into the Jahan Dotson role, the KJ Hamler role, and you know, pick a number one receiver. That's exactly who he's going to be. And I, I remember people talking about going into the Outback Bowl. Well, Jahan Dotson's not going to be playing. Can Parker Washington pick up the slack? I was like, yeah, he just hasn't necessarily been stymied or anything within the offense. He's just not been given that number one role. The second he got it against Arkansas, it was clear he was going to be the guy. I think the thing that's really interesting for me is, does Keandre Lambert-Smith become the number two? Um, because I don't think it's a slam dunk necessarily, and that's nothing against Keandre Lambert-Smith. I think it's the ability of Mitchell Tinsley. I don't think people really understand what Penn State got in the transfer portal. This guy at Western Kentucky, I understand the level of competition, 
very, very different. But he was the primary beneficiary of quarterback Bailey Zapp, who set and broke just about every passing record uh, in major college football. So credit to him. You understand, again, the level of competition, but Mitchell Tinsley was the primary beneficiary. I think his body type and his style of play, his route running, and his strong hands, it does remind me of what Jahan was capable of. Is he a, a duplicate of Dotson? I don't think so, but I'm curious to see what he does. To that point, Keandre Lambert-Smith has a great opportunity to prove, hey, are you the number two? Are you going to be the next Jahan Dotson, Parker Washington, once Parker departs, as you mentioned? It's a great question. And then Malik Mega is the biggest guy in the wide receiver room right now. If you can get a guy of that size to vary what your receiving core threats are, that changes a lot of things for Penn State. You haven't really had that since like Jawan Johnson or um, Saeed Blacknall. You haven't seen those bigger wide receivers have a ton of success. They've been role players. And then loop all those guys in with the number of gigantic freak tight ends that Penn State has. And we only scratch the surface with what that group is capable of this year. So I think there's a lot of potential. And it's just, we got a lot of time. We got a lot of practices yeah. to go through. So I'm, like I said, with just with the quarterbacks, with the receivers, I'm equally excited for the blue-white game. I'm also really excited to see if Malik Mega could. I There was one guy you left out there that I, I see a lot of similarity in Chris Godwin in his game. And I really do think that the height, the strength, the speed, I think there could be a little bit of a comp there. And I honestly could see a route where Mega ends up fighting Tinsley and Lambert possibly for that wide receiver two spot because it's clear the coaching staff loves him and gave him a lot of playing time towards the back half of the season. So curious to see what happens here. But transitioning back to you yourself and all the – fantastic stuff you're doing you also just started some espn radio freelance work which is incredible job by you congratulations that's a dream for so many thank you and you get to call two really big games that you just did with baylor and osu and stillwater and then calling ohio state versus michigan and ann arbor so what has this new opportunity been like for you and getting to call college basketball in really the heat of the season now uh, it's been really cool, uh, thrown into the fire, I guess, so to speak. Uh, no, this is an opportunity that I've been trying to get my foot in the door uh, ever since I left WWE. And frankly, it's something I've wanted to do since I was in college. So um, for that opportunity to finally present itself, I was just blown away. Um, I, I'm just so grateful to have the, the connections and the people at ESPN giving me the opportunity to, you know, learn and, you know, try and try and be useful to them. Uh, so I, at this point, it's kind of like a, hey, when they need me, I'll get a call. And so it's been really neat so far. And to have, to your point, two huge games, um, that was definitely that first game was like, oh, yeah, it's Ohio State at Michigan. I was like, no big deal. You know, <laughs> national broadcast, no big deal. So I was like, oh, okay, you know, this will be interesting. I spent a week prepping for that game, which was fun. And then to turn around, you know, a couple of days later and get asked to do another one, uh, you understand? It's like, yeah, they had a they had a need, so it was like, great. Um, but also, it was like it was just unbelievable. So I was just so fortunate that uh, I worked out with my schedule in regards to impact, and uh, I had a lot of fun with it. And it was a great game, as you mentioned, it went to overtime. So um, yeah, just I, it's some opportunities right now that have come up that I'm just I'm so grateful for. For a while there, there were points where I was curious if they were ever going to happen. And for them to finally materialize, I was very emotional before the Michigan game, texting some close friends and just being like, I can't believe that I get to say these words on the air to say, you know, this is ESPN radio and I'm Tom Hannafin. It was unbelievable. So uh, I can't wait to do it again. Yeah. I almost gave me chills, damn. But it, it is really cool to see all the success you've had coming from, honestly, coming from, as you mentioned, coming out of college and not knowing, all right, you know, am I going to fit? How am I going to fit? And then to do your work in WWE and then now to get an opportunity with Impact in ESPN Radio and what you're doing with the podcast. It's really cool to see as someone who, as I mentioned earlier, grew up listening to you. So kudos to you. And kind of getting more into continuing the conversation about you as you look ahead, obviously, with the last year and a half, really, how crazy it's been, and really your career, um, all the crazy, incredible stuff you've gotten to do, what I guess is, what are actually, I'll, I'll rephrase it like this, what are a couple dreams you have still that you want to do and want to accomplish? Uh, one dream I've had since I was a kid was to be the voice of Madden. Um, obviously, Brandon Gauden right now is doing a fabulous job with that. Um, but I am somebody uh, that has sunk a lot of my own money and my family's put a lot of their money into it. Thank you for all the gifts over the years, mom and dad. Um, 
into the Madden franchise and to EA Sports as a whole. So I'm fortunate to have a relationship with them. Um, I play NBA 2K all the time, so there's definitely the, the 2K spectrum of games that I would love to be a part of or voice, uh, something like that. And honestly, it's just the, the there's a lot of opportunities right now where it's I, I didn't think they were possibilities just because it was like, all right, you just want to see where you're valuable and you can chip in. I think one of the most fun things that wrestling has given me is the ability to emote in that uh, we talked about it earlier in certain sports and say golf you don't necessarily have to really explore the gamut of emotions on certain broadcasts it's pretty straightforward oh this guy won whatever and a couple big shots but wrestling's all over the map emotionally it's betrayal it's revenge it's all these things oh you did this to your brother and i can't believe it oh what he did to win the title what a heroic moment the underdog story there's so many emotions that during certain segments i can sound you know completely deflated from uh something that's happened to laughing to screaming my head off to having the time of my life so i think that skill set i think can uh, apply in a lot of things in regards to entertainment and it's just kind of finding the right home for that. So uh, just talking to everybody, never turned down a conversation right now. I'm just trying to see what I want to do. And I believe I can do anything. And I'm grateful that Penn State gave me the tools to do that, especially Com Radio. So my next question for you kind of ties into that. And that is, of all you've accomplished, what are a couple moments that were some of your favorite calls that you've ever gotten to do or some of your favorite things that you've gotten to see um, in all the capacities and facets you've been able to pursue your career? Um, I, I, considering the bulk of my time was with WWE, um, my, my favorite call was uh, Kofi Mania, Kofi Kingston winning the WWE Championship against Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson. Uh, that was such a fun moment. I loved doing that call with Byron Saxon and Corey Graves. I thought Byron Saxon had the call of his life that night. Um, loved calling Bobby Lashley beating the Miz for the WWE title. I actually enjoyed calling Miz winning the WWE title like a week prior to that because I knew how much it ticked off the audience and I really didn't have to say all that much. And I just had to put some malaise in my, my voice. And I was like, here's your new WWE champion the Miz, like just make <laughs> yeah. it sound as bad as possible. And he's staring down the barrel of the camera with the title. So little moments like that, that you're just like, you want to just match the moment. And I felt really good about, um, and then this is an odd one that happened within WWE. So I grew up a big fan of the Jackass TV show and movies. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I had an opportunity to work with the Jackass people, Jeff Tremaine, especially on a project with WWE that was called Swerved at the advent of the WWE Network. It was so much fun. It was so funny. And I was just pinching myself the whole time that I'm like, oh my God, like this guy that I grew up watching all the stuff he was directing in Jeff Tremaine is giving me direction on how to try and prank somebody with an electrocuted chair or, you know, how to talk a kid through something so that Randy Orton can surprise him from behind and make his day or something like that. It was just so much fun to the point where I talk about stuff in the entertainment world. I'm like, just having the chance to laugh and, and do silly stuff like that. It's like, what what life are we living right now? So I've just been very fortunate and uh, just trying to keep the ball rolling, man. That's really sick. That's especially cool now to see like everything they're doing with Jackass with Johnny Knoxville in the WWE ring. That's so weird. Right, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, the Jackass guys electrocuted me with a stool, so <laughs> I will never forget that. <laughs> Wow. That's not something a lot of people can say. So that's no, definitely a bucket no. list item for a I lot of people. I don't know where to put that on my resume, maybe under additional projects. I haven't figured <laughs> it out yet. That's definitely an eye opener and for you and for for anybody looking at the resume. So um, another thing I wanted to ask is I and I've heard you talk about this in the past, but as someone myself who wants to get into play by play and as someone who is involved in play by play and grew up with so many incredible voices in so many different capacities and sports on air, who are some guys that you kind of modeled yourself after and modeled some of your style after? Oh, man. Um, obviously, within wrestling, uh, Michael Cole taught me so much. Um, I initially got to rub elbows with JR very briefly. So there were a lot of just uh, little things that he taught me up front uh, before he uh, left the company. And But Michael Cole did the bulk of the training uh, for me while I was in WWE and was so good to me. Um, same thing with JBL, Jerry the King Lawler, um, you know, Corey Graves taught me a ton. So a million people within wrestling. Um, but then in conventional broadcasting, I've always been a fan of, you know, Al Michaels. Mike Tirico is an absolute machine. Um, 
I love Dan Schulman on ESPN, him with Jay Billis. I love that broadcast team. They're so good. Dave Pash, I think, is outstanding. Um, so it's just seeing guys who can work a clean show. And what I mean by that, for people that watching at home, it's like when you see all these graphics of statistics or we're thrown to an interview or here's a video package of what happened or something like that. Being able to make that seamless, hitting your counts, you know, communicating well with your producer and just making the broadcast feel like nice and clean. That's what every good play-by-play announcer should be doing, regardless of what the medium is. Uh, so that's what I always strive for when I was in WWE, and especially now uh, is the one thing I really enjoyed getting to do with ESPN radio is like, oh, I get to do some some traffic again. This is really cool. So, uh, and then obviously trying to capture the moment with a great call. Um, it, it, there's a lot that goes into a broadcast. So if you don't have those nuts and bolts down, of handling the show, advertisements, all the elements that you got to get in the show, your call doesn't mean anything because then it's just a wonky show and, oh my gosh, the call came up or something like that. So you've got to work on the entirety of the game. And sometimes um, that call of a moment has to be a, a knee-jerk reaction and you just develop that muscle over time. And my best piece of advice to anybody is just get a lot of reps doing a lot of different stuff. That's what I had the opportunity to do at Com Radio. Um, obviously my career went a very different direction and I'm getting back to that now, but try and do a little bit of everything and just get as many reps as you can. That's a lot of great advice for from young broadcasters. I know I appreciate all of that and I'm sure many listening will. And I know you just mentioned Tariqo and I cannot wait. I, I mean, it seems like all signs point to him getting the Sunday night football gig now with Al Michaels probably going elsewhere. And man, I cannot wait to hear Tariqo on Sunday night football routinely because I love Al Michaels and he's probably the best to have ever done it for football. Mm-hmm. But uh, Tariqo's so good. So good. And I'm he, excited. He's so clean. I saw him do uh, a show in the rain for Thursday night football or Sunday night football, excuse me. He was on the sideline, so clearly he didn't have his monitors working the same way that he did, but he had all this copy in his head, and he knew exactly how he was going to phrase it to get to all these different points, and he had his notes in front of him, but he's, for lack of a better term, writing while he's on the air. So I, I think Tariko is really brilliant. And then uh, to, to your point about changes, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman is a fabulous tandem. Yeah. It appears Troy Aikman is done with Fox. Joe Buck, whoever they pair him with, is probably going to make that person also look phenomenal because of how good Joe Buck is. And forgive me if people don't like him, but I'm like, the guy doesn't mess up on the air. So I I love what Joe Buck does. I'm very curious to see who he's paired with. Yeah, that was one thing I wanted to ask you because I heard you say this on uh, Renee... I'm going to butcher her last name. Paquette. Paquette. Okay. Renee's podcast with um, mentioning broadcasters, but I heard you say that about Joe Buck and I was like, thank you. Somebody else is on that same train as me because I hear a lot of, even like my friends, um, people I'm working with in Com Radio are like, oh, never listen to a Joe Buck call for like reference, but he's probably one of the most seamless broadcasters in really, in ever. I mean, he's so good on the mic, and I, I agree with you. I think he does a fantastic job of just having clean broadcast time in and time out, and he does it two times a week sometimes. Yeah, you have to take your emotions out of it when you're looking at this stuff and then you're trying to actually apply your craft, mm-hmm. so to speak, as a play-by-play announcer. Uh, I'm an Eagles fan, so for years growing up, I thought Joe Buck hated the Eagles or something <laughs> like that. And then when I listen to him, like I'm across the board. I'm like, no, like this is just... His style, it's a little bit more laid back. Um, He stays, for lack of a better term, in the pocket. But his broadcasts are perfect. I I encourage anybody that's watching what he does in terms of the way he moves in and out of ads, commercial breaks, video packages, elements, sideline reporters, et cetera. It's flawless. That's what you need to be looking at. And then if you want to change things about how you call a football game or whatever the sporting event is, great. Take what you like, take what you don't like, and go from there. But you cannot knock joe buck's ability to handle a broadcast he's fantastic i agree tenfold so one of my final questions here is when i ask everybody who comes on this podcast and it's a question i love and i think it really pertains really nicely to everything you've accomplished already and will stand to accomplish and my question for you tom is when it's all said and done what do you want your legacy to be Oh, man. Um, I, I remember saying this. Uh, I did an interview with Steve Samsel uh, of Penn State um, right uh, around the time when I started with WWE. And he asked me a similar question. And my response uh, remains the same, is that when it's all said and done, I want to be known as one of the best broadcasters to ever come out of Penn State. And that's a very, very high bar to set. Um, obviously, I think of Steve Jones. I think of Lisa Salters. Uh, and there's plenty of others that uh, I could bring up right now. But 
there are some really talented people who have gone to Penn State and are contributing in the broadcasting world that deserve their flowers. Um, and I think the most important thing for any of us that walk through those doors is to try and carry on the legacy in a, a solid capacity. So that's all I'm really trying to do is hopefully when I'm done, um, I've contributed in a solid way to Penn State's name, Penn State's broadcasting reputation, um, because it means so much to my family what Penn State is and what Penn State's, uh, what the community is all about. So it's just a matter of uh, working one day at a time and hopefully this all uh, ends in a nice <laughs> in a nice career when I'm all said and done. That was a fantastic answer and honoring Penn State is something that I think you're already doing. I think you're already uh, underselling yourself because I think you're already amongst some of those names that you mentioned and well on your way Thank to being you. one of the nice ones to, to carry the uh, flag for Penn State. So my final question, also one I ask every guest who comes on, on this podcast is if you could be any kind of boat what boat would you be and why? Wow. A boat. <laughs> hmm. That's a really good question. I, I guess a yacht, because if there's a bed and like, like a kitchen, like, you know, like, so like just someplace I can take a nap <laughs> under, <laughs> like not worry about like, is the boat going to capsize or something? Uh, and it doesn't need to be large enough to get a helicopter on it, like Conor McGregor or something like that. <laughs> just a nice yacht where it's like if i want to spend the night on here i can spend the night and i can sit off the back and just enjoy the view a little bit so i guess that's my retirement picture maybe not a yacht but just kind of enjoying solitude and sleep and a nice view fair enough i think you thought more about that question than you did the legacy one <laughs> my family's my family's big into boating so i'm like oh, i really should have given this more thought but it's an interesting question i appreciate it well, thank you very much. And Tom, I can't thank you enough for doing this. I'm so thankful that uh, Mike Porman, I mean, kudos to him for arranging this. And thank you so much for taking the time to do this and impart your wisdom and really get to hear from someone who I've looked up to for a bulk of my chung or my childhood and my young life. So thank you very much for doing this. Where can the people find you and keep up with all the incredible stuff you're doing? Uh, well, I appreciate you saying all that. Um, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Tom Hannifin, H-A-N-N-I-F-A-N. Uh, you can find my podcast with uh, former Penn State quarterback Matt McGloin at Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V. And then, of course, if you're into Impact Wrestling, just head to ImpactWrestling.com to see what we're up to. We're on every Thursday night on Access TV, plus live events and pay-per-views. So, uh, and then just kind of follow me on social media to see where I pop up next. It's, uh, it's constantly evolving which is good. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thanks again, Tom. And that was the great Tom Hannafin. My thanks once again to Tom for coming on. He's a fantastic guest, fantastic person. Go check him out all over social media and keep up with all the great work he's doing and will continue to do. He's killing the game in impact right now. And really that brand as a whole is at a high. It is, they're doing fantastic work right now and really keeping up with the way the wrestling industry is going, which has been skyrocketing and Impact has been at the forefront of that. So kudos to Impact and kudos to them for going out and getting one of the most well-known voices in wrestling in Tom Hannafin. So kudos to Tom for getting that opportunity and go check out once again all that he's doing on social media and come back to Ambitious next week for another great episode. And you can find us as always on Instagram at Ambitious Podcast. Twitter Ambitious with DP, YouTube Ambitious with Dylan Price. Have a wonderful, safe, and healthy week, Ambitious listeners, and we'll be back next week with another episode.